Welcome to Rounding Third, the official podcast of the Nashville Sounds. On the field, off the field, Rounding Third takes you inside Nashville Sounds baseball. Here's your host, Jeff Hemm. Welcome to another edition of Rounding Third. It's Jeff Hem here with you, joined by Sounds reliever Hobie Harris. And Hobie, I got the vibe when you joined me on the pregame show a while back that you would be a good guest for this because I feel like there are a lot of fun layers to you uh, as we get to know you this year while you pitch for the Sounds. I want to go back to the Hobie Harris like high school age in McKinney, Texas. Describe the ball player you were then and what else was going on as you started to figure out where might I play, when will I have an opportunity at, at levels above me. Yeah, so in high school I was a two-sport athlete. I played baseball and football and going through uh, the lower years of my high school experience, I was always uh, kind of second in line between or behind two guys, uh, Zach Lee and Matt Lipka, Lipka who played yeah. here last year. Uh, both very, very talented guys ended up being first-round draft picks uh, in 2010 and I graduated 2011. So whenever I got the opportunity to kind of step into that spotlight my senior year uh, I just wanted to to take advantage of it not really knowing what the future held for me but understanding that you know that was kind of my time to show what I had and luckily I went out and I was prepared and I threw well and got the opportunity to play at the junior college level and that kind of uh, is the epitome of my career just taking each opportunity I can uh, putting my best foot forward and hoping that I can you know keep moving. And then from there, you went to Pitt, which is not, you know, geographically a logical step one might think of. How did you land at Pitt? So I went to Paris Junior College for two years, uh, which is just over an hour from my high school. And my sophomore year, we played a, for lack of better description, a showcase tournament uh, in southern Arkansas. And Pitt's pitching coach was their recruiting coordinator, and he recruited our shortstop, who happened to be my roommate. And the first series of the spring, we were playing against Grayson Junior College, who at the time was ranked number three in the country. Uh, and the recruiting coordinator, pitching coach, came back to basically check up and make sure our, his shortstop was doing well. And uh, it was kind of one of those things that worked out in my favor because I was supposed to pitch game two, started from game one, ended up getting scratched. Uh, I went out and threw six strong innings. I uh, don't think I gave up any runs. And we ended up winning that game. And the next day, I was on the phone with them. Uh, and it kind of worked out for me going up there. I love the campus. Uh, being a Texas guy, I'm not much of a fan of the cold, but yeah. uh, okay. you know that was definitely small in the grand scheme of things. And I got to play their first year in the ACC, which was really neat. Uh, and one thing a lot of people don't know is my parents both actually graduated from Pitt. So nice. kind of a small world thing and yeah. completely coincidental. But, it, you know, amazing. I think everything happens for a reason. So I, I enjoy the opportunity and the experience. I want to jump back to Pitt in a second. Let's go back to Hobie Harris, the football player yeah. in McKinney, Texas. What kind of player were you? Well, I, I came up in high school. Um, I was brought up on the varsity as a backup quarterback, um, you know, taking some of the the reps with the offensive line before the game and making sure that you know Zach was loose and ready to rock and uh, come my junior year I actually got moved to slot receiver uh, started seeing a little bit more time on the field and then my senior year again after Zach and Matt both graduated I was able to kind of find a hybrid role between playing quarterback and playing wide receiver so being from Texas it's not necessarily a sport it's more of a religion more <laughs> of a lifestyle so you know I, I really enjoyed uh, my time playing football and at the time I did it just a bunch of my friends play football and for me it was a way to get prepared for baseball season uh, 
but looking back, I wouldn't trade those years for the world. I'm glad that I'm glad that I took part in that. You know, there are certain things in life where you realize later on, okay, it's not really like most people think it is. Anybody I've ever asked about high school football in Texas, they say, no, no, yeah, it's it's what you think it is. It's what you think it is and more. I mean, to the point I graduated high school, like I like I mentioned, 2011. In 2018, my high school, or McKinney ISD, built a $70 million football stadium that more than rivals some Division One football stadiums that I've seen. So the folks in the community are not shy about putting some of their taxpayer dollars down to fund <laughs> those Friday night lights and the, the atmosphere is like something that you can never imagine, something you can never imitate. And like I said, some of the yeah. some of the more fun that I've had. Growing up for you, was it all things Cowboys and Rangers and Mavericks and all, all the sports one might guess? Absolutely. I mean, grow, I was born in 1993 and that year the Dallas Cowboys won the Super Bowl, so that was kind of a, a sign for me. <laughs> but obviously being being baseball player born and bred, uh, grew up going to the old ballpark in Arlington, uh, watching guys like Pudge and Michael Young and Alfonso Soriano, Mark Teixeira, those guys, and you know, ironically sitting here now I'm I'm 28 almost 29 looking back and understanding when I was a seven eight year old kid this is what I wanted to do for a living mm-hmm. and the fact that I'm I'm still getting to live it out every day is is more than a blessing so it's pretty cool so you're at Pitt you end up getting drafted in 2015 by the Yankees 31st round what were your hopes and expectations surrounding the draft and, and getting into pro ball Going into the draft, my only hope was I could get an opportunity to keep playing. Like I said, taking my career step step by step and, and just being grateful for each new opportunity, that's really all I was looking for was that next opportunity. So for me, it wasn't about a big signing bonus. It wasn't about getting drafted really high. I just wanted a chance to play. So whenever I got that call on the third day of the draft um, and I got to see my parents' reaction when my name was said on the TV, it was, uh, it was a moment I'll never forget. And it's since that day you know each day moving forward I'm just trying to put my best foot forward and try to continue chasing that dream of ultimately playing at the big league level. You got to double A with the Yankees before you've your path has taken you to other organizations what were the early days like for you in the Yankees organization I mean Jonathan Davis talked about his experience with the Yankees last year Abraham Almonte came up with them there's certainly that mystique from the outside looking in. What was it like when you find out that's the team that picked you and then you're in their organization? So there's a little bit of irony behind it because, like I mentioned, growing up I was a Rangers fan and mentioning guys like Alfonso Serrano and Mark Teixeira and these guys that Alex Rodriguez going yeah. and playing for the Yankees, it's almost like now I'm watching them go to the dark side. <laughs> and growing up my dad always told us, you know, it's not necessarily all about the money and going out and this team just being able to buy whoever they want. It's going out and working for that opportunity. So I, I dislike the Yankees growing up for that reason and then turn around in 2015 and I start getting paid by that team. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. But uh, it's especially for those Yankees fans and some of the greatest fans in sports, I think, as far as their loyalty is concerned, Stepping into that clubhouse and walking through and just feeling the history that that came up and seeing guys like Reggie Jackson walking around the clubhouse, uh, getting to talk to Goose Gossage my first spring training. It was nothing sort of short of surreal, and it really there was a very very uh, strong not necessarily a weight but just a, a presence that you felt being able to play for such a strong and and uh, storied franchise and that that definitely was a, a pretty sweet opportunity. As a guy who throws hard, when did that 
jump happen for you or was it gradual? I would definitely say for the most part it was gradual as I went into my first off season in 2015 and then I progressed each year, kind of learned a little bit more about how my body moved, got a little bit stronger, took uh, you know, eating habits, sleeping habits, things like that a little bit more seriously. Um, and then I think the biggest jump that I saw came actually during the COVID shutdown. Um, I took part in my first big league spring training game in 2020 with the Blue Jays after I got rule fived. I did well. I was mid-90s, and then we got sent home. That was kind of, to me, like an opportunity taken away, right? Uh, so I spent four or five months just really trying to, number one, study my body. Number two, compare it to those guys at the big league level that threw hard, looking at videos of DeGrom and Scherzer and Garrett Cole and Prime Verlander and all these guys that I tried to emulate and then tried to figure out what could I do to move more like they did, what kind of throwing programs could I follow, and I basically videoed everything I did. Um, and pair that with just lifting every day and not really knowing what the baseball schedule looked like moving forward. I try to take every day as just a stepping stone to get stronger and throw harder. And then I got the opportunity to go to the Instructional League with the Blue Jays in September of 2020. And the first time I stepped on the mound, um, I was 98 to 100. And to me, it was cool to see that that translated into a competitive setting and then set me up to, uh, you know, set the stage to start at the AAA level the next year. That's amazing, and I, I guess it's like a lesson within the lesson that eventually the hard work pays off. Sometimes right. you see it right away, sometimes you don't, but usually it always works out. Absolutely, and, and that's kind of a mantra that i followed my entire life. Again, that's something my dad instilled in me when I was very young, and the, the most difficult part is being able to take that big-scale thought or that big-scale hope of what you want to accomplish and shrink that down to the day-to-day. -day. And something that I tell the kids that I coach back home is, you've got to understand how monotonous the game of baseball can be because we are the only sport that plays 100 plus games every year, right? We play 162 games and that's not even considering spring training and then the postseason. So being able to wake up each day and kind of have uh, a plan of attack and understand that it wasn't about what I was going to do the following year, but what could I do that day to set me up for the next day and then see how those days stacked up on top of one another ended up putting me in, in a situation to find, find that growth. So there's another layer then. You, you coach kids back home? I do. So my first offseason um, in 2015, I got linked up with a baseball facility back home. Uh, it's a big, a big chain of, of uh, baseball warehouses called DBAT. Uh, and I went through high school playing for a DBAT team, and there's one right down the road from my house. So I went down and started uh, giving private instruction and coaching some of those teams. And uh, that's something that's been a part of my offseason regimen uh, throughout the course of my career. That's great. How much fun is that? It's really, really cool. It's, it's probably the coolest now because there are so many kids that I've seen grow over the past four or five years, and now they're in their, those prime high school years yeah. where you're starting to see them at that at competitive level and talking about how competitive football is in Texas, the baseball is, is right up there on the same, the same playing field. So being able to see not only the growth of the kids individually, but seeing that translate onto the field is really rewarding for me. Well, I want to talk about, I love when there's a story behind a name and I know the answer to this because we talked about it right. a while back on the pregame show, right. but you are Robert William Harris Jr. going by Hobie. Please, right. please explain. So, the part that goes without explaining, I guess, is just being named after my dad, Robert William Harris Sr. Uh, I was the firstborn, and from the story that I was told, right around the time I was born, my parents were torn between giving me the namesake and having me follow that legacy 
And then they really like the name Hobie, which for those who aren't aware, uh, I'm named after the Hobie Cat sailboat. Uh, my dad and my grandfather grew up uh, in Pennsylvania and they would go sailing and something my dad had a passion for and, and the name Hobie is very unique and they didn't know anybody that had it so they thought that would be cool and I guess rather than picking one they just decided to go for the best <laughs> of both worlds and uh, you know I, I wear it proudly that I have my dad's name I think that's really cool um, and on the same token I also really like having a name that's, that's unique and up to this point the only other Hobie I've met is at the big league level with us Hobie Milner yeah. so being able to sit down and talk with him a little bit uh, and just being like that that spider-man meme of the, the one spider-man pointing at the other <laughs> that was pretty cool because I'd never gotten to experience that before if there's a family in your future for you and your wife where did the, where does the name go have you have you gotten that far yet so we've talked about it uh, I've definitely for me the biggest I've got two big reasons for wanting to carry on uh, the namesake that my dad gave me number one obviously it's just uh, to me the depth of having a family name and being able to say it's my name and uh, it, it'd be his my son's grandfather's name is really cool and then the second part of that is I tell my wife I just think Harris the third would look really cool on a yeah, jersey that would. Uh, so we've we've definitely talked uh, talked about names and uh, there could be a potential that 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 could be carried on for the yeah. next generation where did your passion for music really start Again, growing up, my dad always had uh, always had a big old stereo, whether it's a boombox or he had a big uh, stereo set up down in his office and in his garage. So anytime I would go out and hang out with him or for him at the end of a long work week, his way of kind of decompress was to, to listen to some loud music. And I grew up on a lot of being a 90s baby, a lot of the, the summer hits of the 90s is one of my one of my favorite playlists to go to. So. My dad instilled that in me, and then when I got to middle school and we had an opportunity to kind of pick which route we wanted to go, you could do choir, you could do an art route, or uh, you could go the band route, I decided I wanted to try to play percussion because I always thought the drums were really cool. So I did that in sixth grade. Uh, that Christmas I was gifted my first drum set, and then although I was no longer in the band due to playing basketball for the school, um, I continued playing the drums, and that kind of took me into high school where me and a couple of my buddies put a band together we did a couple battle of the bands and then my brother grew up playing the guitar so once I left for college he gave me an old guitar and YouTube's a pretty cool tool so I just kind of <laughs> put those two together and now it's it's a good way for me to relax you know you guys like you mentioned the volume of games in a baseball schedule is immense it's it's every day for the most part you guys I feel like and all teams I think are like this uh, the clubhouse you guys find ways to stay sane uh you've got downtime but then at times you don't have down it's this weird balance of like yeah we got downtime but we're still at the field for right. that downtime and i feel like this has this team has a unique group of guys who can help everyone kind of be entertained along the way whether it's Almonte or reyes or you i mean there's just a dynamic on this team that maybe it, there's a version of it on other teams but i feel like this team has a particularly special group do you feel that way absolutely and i think uh, a lot's to be said for anybody who has played whether it's at the collegiate level or or beyond at the professional level there can be a bit of separation whether it's between guys that are have been in the organization for a while versus newer guys versus uh you know hitters and pitchers there, there can be a lot of different um clicks for yeah. lack of better language barriers and language barriers of course with this team there's not much of that at all I, I feel like you know we've got 
guys at the table playing cards every day or you know we had a big old masters pool with probably 28 guys that that were all eyes on the masters when we were at the field and more back home maddie does a great job setting up you know we'll do putt putt tournaments out in the outfield the, the basketball and stuff like that so the ability for us to kind of combat that monotony of what is the season by being able to enjoy more than just what's going on on the field certainly helps keep us sane and it's it helps generate relationships that we'll probably have for the rest of our lives my sense is along the way the group of relievers you guys have odd conversations or weird bets or you know one guy makes a comment and somebody's like wait did you really just say what I th you know like th those examples I'm not trying to get you to to name names necessarily I know what goes on in the clubhouse stays in the clubhouse but is there anything that comes to mind that is sort of a topic commonly in the bullpen that fans would be entertained to hear that you guys are going back and forth about well, probably entertained for the first day or two, but for the most part, one of my closest friends in the bullpen, uh, who's not here right now because he just had his wife just had a baby, Connor Sadzik. Uh, him and I are both really big movie buffs, okay. and ninety percent of our conversation, our daily conversation in the bullpen, is just going back and forth from movie quotes, and. For the most part, there are a handful of movies that we typically stick to just because at this point it's nothing less <laughs> right. than second nature just kind of comes <laughs> off the top of the head. But we we typically converse a lot through just going back and forth on movie quotes. And early on, a lot of guys were like, that's impressive, you guys know movies. And it gets to the point where they're like, oh, okay, this one again. <laughs> we get it, guys, yeah, exactly, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Can you share which, which kind of, what's the circle of the movies that are going around? So... A big one is the other guys, okay. uh, and I say a big one. That's more than half of them. <laughs> um, we like some from Step Brothers, some from Ted. Some of those kind of, uh, you know, more adult humor, kind of raunchy yeah. comedy type, yeah. uh, that that kind of realm. Um, and then obviously we have our our Sandlot Rookie of the Year, those kind of baseball mm -hmm. baseball innuendos as well, just because it's easy to, that helps yeah. us stay involved in the game but yeah for the most part that that comedic route is the way we go my guess would be then somewhere along the line somebody will say i don't know that movie and that's got to just make you filled with with, with rage right so <laughs> i wouldn't now there are and i'm not going to name names actually yesterday being here in toledo we don't have seating in the bullpen so yeah. we are right in the mix with everybody here in the dugout uh, one of the movies that i can quote seven ways a Sunday is the longest yard now I say that it's the remade version that came out in 04 with Adam yeah. Sandler uh but I I probably went through about a straight minute and a half of quoting that movie and one of the other pitchers was looking at me like yeah but I, I don't know and then on my left side there were three other guys going come on like that's an easy one um so I'll like I said I'll have guys looking at me like that like the guys who get it and then the guys are like okay like we've we've yeah. heard it yeah here in Toledo, I would imagine the position players are like, can't you guys find a way to go down to that bullpen? And be like, stop being in our area. That's the sixth inning. You're not supposed to be here. Well, I'm, I'm surprised we don't have like a line of tape at the end of the bullpen, like, or at <laughs> the, the end of the dugout that we're like, you guys stay on this side. This is your area. <laughs> but I, I, I like it because it kind of keeps us a little more involved in the game. And, you know, as much as I love spending the time with those seven or eight guys in the bullpen, it's a good little change of pace that keeps yeah. us keeps us involved.
Great stuff. You've been generous with your time. Thank you. I know your time on the field is coming too, and it's going to be fun to see it happen. So thanks for joining us here on Rounding Third. Absolutely. Thanks for the time. I appreciate it. All right. Sounds right-hander Hobie Harris. Join us again next time here on Rounding Third. Thank you for listening to Rounding Third, the official podcast of the Nashville Sounds. For more information about Sounds Baseball and this podcast, visit nashvillesounds.com slash podcast.